The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Just out of curiosity, does anyone have like a, a sort of like morning routine, like, like something they do every morning, regardless of the morning, like maybe it's like a little game or coffee, have coffee? Get up, out of bed. Take the dog for a walk. I have seen you walking the dog. Yes. Clean your teeth. Read the Bible. Tell your wife. Can we confirm that, Tricia? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 good. Ashley's up early making the coffee. Nice, good recovery. Uh, for me, I, um, I update myself on one of the most relevant current affairs and news websites, uh, Instagram. Uh, and this morning I was watching like the, the news clips that they have, various news presenters, etc. I say it because it makes me sound a lot more mature and wise. Um, but there was someone who came up, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with how Instagram works. I hope not, because I'm about to explain it and I might be wrong. But... The more you view a particular type of video, whether it be like comedy or you know, maybe it's motivational speaking or something of that nature, the more it shows up. So it registers what it is that you're watching and then gives you similar things. Um, it's a death trap to try and keep you on the application, and it works. It's great. Um, and for me, one of the things that I've recently sort of taken up is... is uh, either preachers, little snippets from their sermons that comes up, but they're more so like Christian comedians who are kind of taking the mickey out of particular things that we do or making light of the sort of Christian walk as a means of, you know, normalizing it and relating to people. And I saw one this morning, and it was quite aptly because the guy's like, oh, what people think reading the Bible is like. And he's sitting there with his Bible and says, oh, yes, highlighting, highlighting, highlighting. He goes, that's brilliant. I'm going to go and apply that right now. And he goes, what it's actually like. And he sits there and goes, what? Wait, what's the context of this? Google's the context. How do you even pronounce that name? Nebad? You know, and like kind of plays with it like that. And so the reason I share that this morning is because for me, in the passage that I'm speaking on, it was a little bit like that where I kind of, I read it. And you know, sometimes I'll read a passage and something will strike me kind of immediately. Um, and a part of the, the Discovery Bible study I've done you know, I start to see things around like, what is it that this tells me about God or tells me about people or a command or, or um, what's the other one? Example. Um, and so, you know, kind of things come out and it wasn't exactly that process. Um, and the reason I share that with you is because my only frame of reference for how minds work is mine. Um, and so... You know, people talk about like having a train of thought, and mine's a little bit more like a Roomba. You know, like this is, it goes here and then it's here. And you know, sometimes I'll be sitting in conversation with someone, and it goes silent for a little bit, and I'm just pondering. And then I say something, and they, they look at me like, "Wait, how did you get there?" And you know, I started where we left off, but like kind of bounces around. And so, I want to share this morning the general sort of process that I went through, because where we end up may not be directly linked for you. So I hope that you 
enjoy coming on the journey with me. It's my normal sort of MO when sharing. Um, but I'm prefacing that because the last time I was up here was in late October, and I was sharing with Mike this morning that often when Brian comes to us and says, hey, I'm looking uh, to see if either one of you wouldn't mind teaching on any one of these passages. I look at the passages titled, I don't read them. I pick it based on date, because for me, I'm like, oh, okay, today is the 15th. That's a couple of weeks before school starts, but not so close to New Year's, so that if I wanted to go away, have an opportunity. I did the same the last time, and I've learned now that I should read the passages, because last time I got up here, it was a geneo genealogy. It was just a list of names and their sons, and, and believe it or not, Genesis 10 is also a genealogy. So I found my sermon from last time. I hope you guys don't mind hearing it now. Um, so this morning, I'm, I'm going to read to you a genealogy and kind of walk you through my initial sort of thinking and, and the process I went through and then share something. And it's actually quite relevant to what Brian was, was saying towards the end of his communion. But if you want to open up your Bibles or get out your app, and you can be on Instagram, I hear the Bible's on there. Um, Genesis 10, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, this is the account of the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. Many children were born to them after the great flood. Um, our first section is the descendants of Japheth, um, which presuming the order that those names are listed in, maybe he's the youngest. So we're starting at the youngest and going backwards. Um, but those descendants were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tobal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The descendants of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togamah. Just walk with me. I don't know how to pronounce half of these. Um, the descendants of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Rodanim. Their descendants became the seafaring people that spread out to various lands, each identified by its own language, clan, and national identity. Descendants of Ham were Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. The descendants of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The descendants of Rama were Sheba and Dadan. Dadan? Cush was also the ancestor of Nimrod, who was the first heroic warrior of earth. That's pretty cool. Uh, since he was the greatest hunter in the world, his name became proverbial. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. He built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia, with the cities of Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna. From there, he expanded his territory to Assyria, building the cities, cities of Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kala, and Resin, the great city located between some of the others mentioned there. Mizram was the ancestor of the Luddites, Anamites, Lehabites, Nephtahites, Pathurusites, some others. Um, Canaan's oldest son was Sidon, Sidon. See, you don't even know how to pronounce it to actually read the Bible. It's great. Uh, the ancestor of the Sidians, Canaan, was also the ancestor of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, Hamathites. The Canaanite clan eventually spread out, and the territory of Canaan extended from Sidon in the north to Gerar and Gaza in the south, east as far as Sodom, Gomorrah, 
Adma and Zeboim near Lasha. Those were the descendants of Ham, identified by language, clan, territory, and national identity. And then Shem, he was the older brother of Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the descendants of Eber. The descendants of Shem were Elam, Asher, Afixed, Lud, Aram. The descendants of Aram were Uz, Hul, Githa, Mash. I'm going to skip the next names just but you get the general gist. Those were the descendants of Shem, identified by language, clan, territory, national identity. And in our conclusion in verse 32, it says, These are the clans that descended from Noah's sons, arranged by nation, according to the lines of their descent. All the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. So, if you were here in October and we've read Genesis 5, this genealogy is quite different to that one. That one gave us, started with Adam, said, hey, he was this age when this son was born, and then he lived to this age. He also had many other sons and daughters. And it repeats that structure for a particular individual, gives the age at which their a child was born, maybe their first, could be just the descendant that led in this lineage. Um, and so this one gives us significantly more detail. Uh, sometimes they'll give you uh, a son, and then they'll be like, hey, there were these three. And then they'll give you the descendants of two of them, but not the third. Sometimes they'll just do one. Sometimes they'll go back and forth. And so they've given us a lot of information. Um, you also note that sometimes they'll give you a name, such as Canaan, but then other times they'll be like, it was the descendant of the Anamites, the Lehabites, and that's a group of people. And so I read this, and the only thing that struck me was how it was different to the genealogy in chapter 5. And so I kind of sat with that, and I was like, well, that's pretty much the sermon if that's what I brought. Like, oh, it's different. Genealogies are different. Um, and so I kind of waited, and I did what I normally do in this instance, and I went and I searched out various things to try and find information, hoping that that might spark a little bit of a thought, because I want to leave here having encouraged you or given you some means of relating to this passage. So I looked up the genesis of Genesis and the etymology of the word and what it meant. And if you're familiar with the term, the idea of Genesis being the beginning, that's kind of all it gives you. It, it means the beginning. The definition is kind of cool. Uh, means that it's the beginning of something that is to come. But I was like, okay, well, that's not it. So I went and I googled, why are there genealogies in the Bible? And there were some fascinating things. Um, one that kind of struck me that I hadn't really considered was the fact that it confirms prophecies. Not necessarily this genealogy, but when we're in Matthew and Luke and we hear the genealogy of Christ, the lineage of Christ, it confirms some of the prophecies that had been said by the prophets at an earlier point in time. It shows that God worked throughout history because there's names that are mentioned here that come up in stories that precede this. I don't know if you caught things like Canaan, uh, Babylonia, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of you might have picked up a bit more if you're more familiar with the Old Testament passages, but those are stories that I was aware of, and I was like, okay, so he's worked here. These are people that went to these places. Confirms the divinity of Christ. We actually have the lineage of Christ right back to Adam and notable figures um, that make up the stories in here. Highlights God's utilization of imperfect everyday people, 
Mike shared last week about Noah being caught in a tent drunk. And there's an entire story about him, and he's a key figure in this lineage, and the same is true of, of other members. A little sort of side note of that was um, in Christ's genealogy, they mention, I think it's four or five women, and that's not necessarily common, most of the genealogies as far as they're aware of mouth. I mean, you couldn't tell by half these names. They're not really gendered, are they? But they, they mention four women, and those women were caught in some form of like a sexual scandal or nature of that. And I just thought it was fascinating that they're like, you know, there are scriptures, and I'm, I'm going down a real rabbit hole, I told you, I'm a rumba. But like the idea that like there's a passage in, that Paul writes about women not preaching in the church, and you can kind of contextualize that, but you look in the grander story, and women played a key role in the coming of Christ. Um, so that's a side note, I found that fascinating. And the last thing that genealogies does is that it traces legacies. Um, and that kind of reminded me, when I first started coming to the chapel, the reason why I came is because I'm married to Brian's daughter. And so when he first started pastoring here, uh, we weren't in a particular church. We'd met and we came from two different places. And um, we were like, well, we're happy to try somewhere new. Felt a sense of coming along. Um, and, you know, we sat and we met. And then eventually I'd invite mum and dad along from time to time. Dad's actually down the back there. Um, and Dorothy uh, saw my mum. was like, oh, you look familiar. Turns out that when they were younger, I think it was like a babysitting situation of, like, my aunties. So Dorothy knew them. She knew my grandfather um, and my mother, grandmother. Um, so immediately there was, like, this ability to kind of connect and be like, oh, okay, so I've known you in this context, but you actually know about me in a historical context. Um, I also think about the time that I was on my honeymoon and uh, we were on a wine tour. You know, I have a different opinion on drinking than maybe some others. We didn't get drunk, it's all right. There were no tents, okay? Um, but we were there with another couple and, you know, we kind of got to talking and as the conversation went on, said, okay, they're Christian. Yeah, we're Christian. Oh, where are you from? Oh, Auckland. Oh, yeah, we've been in Auckland. We're not there at the moment. Oh, okay, like, whereabouts in Auckland? Oh, we're, we're living in Tiaratu at the moment, the peninsula. Oh, no way. We kind of... Glenn Hathaway's daughter had also been recently married, and they were joining. And so, like, you know, again, you had this kind of connection. And, you know, I've been on the peninsula for about five years, maybe longer. Five? When did we... Yeah, about five. And, you know, kind of, like, gone into things like the barbershop or connected in with different people. And whenever we have a conversation... I look to, to connect, and one of the things is I say, oh, do you know the chapel on Beach Road? Yeah. Oh, well, my father-in-law is the pastor there, and so we come along. And, and it's always a way to kind of connect these ideas of locations and places and names. And so I kind of looked through that, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's something in that. But it still didn't sit right. Like, I didn't have a piece about just coming and giving you this information about the purpose of genealogies, even though I just gave it to you. But I was like, that, that can't be it. And so I sat for, for a few more days, you know, and I was praying, and I was very much like, God, I want to make sure that when I'm sharing this morning that it's not just information for information's sake or a contrast for contrast's sake. I, I know there's something here. What is it? And so nothing in that moment, but I kept praying, I kept thinking, it, and I was, I was sitting there, and in my conversation as I was praying, I kind of just said, God, the only thing I have 
is the fact that it's so different from the genealogy in chapter 5. And I go, I guess there's just a time for detail and a time for not. And then I was like, oh wait, there's that passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about, you know, there's a time for everything. There's a time. And I was like, what are those again? I was trying to recall. And the only one that came to mind was there is a time to tear down and there's a time to rebuild. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, is that, is that something? Is that just my rumba kind of going from place to place? But again, I, I felt like a real sort of sense that, no, there's something in that. And I, and I kind of came back to the conclusion that last verse, all the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. And I realized that I'd been looking at this passage in isolation. What is there in chapter 10 and chapter 10 alone? Not a ton. And then I was thinking back to what Mike was sharing last week about the story and how Noah had come in, he had done this like great feat, and then there was this sort of embarrassing moment, you know, and the blame and how he shifted. And I was like, this genealogy takes place in a wider story. And if we're to believe what it says, that the entire earth was wiped out, those of us sitting here right now at some point have a lineage that would likely go back to those people. Now, I'm not a historian, nor am I a scholar. I don't know, and I was sharing this with Esmond this morning, I don't know whether this is a story of this group of people and there were other groups of people who lived concurrently that we've come from. I can't vouch for that. But if in this moment we're to believe what this says and have faith in this, everyone on earth had come here from these people. God had torn down what it was that had existed before. He had wiped out the entire earth and he had saved Noah, Noah's family, and to every, every animal. And he was rebuilding. And when I looked at it through that lens, I was kind of like, this scripture in Genesis, this particular passage, wasn't necessarily written by Moses, again, if we're to believe, for us, sitting here in 2023. It's not to say that it's not applicable, but when Moses wrote this, he wrote it for a particular group of people. And so I kind of went and I did a little more research. And I mentioned before that the variation in names and the phrasing that Moses use, uses of certain descendants it denotes that they were group, groups of people rather than individuals. And then others resemble very closely landmarks and places around the world at that time. Now, I don't know when this is written. Some of you might. But you've got to imagine that if Noah was kind of like a great-great-great-great-grandfather of Moses, there's some years that have passed, potentially hundreds. And the way in which reproduction works is there could be quite a lot of people here. And so Moses is writing for a group of people with that group of people in mind. So when he talks about the fact that, hey, Canaan was the ancestor of the, where does it say, the Jebusites or the Hivites or the Archites. Those are people that might exist in this time who get this and can go, oh, okay, so I've come from all these people, but I'm a part of this group. Is that person, that person, so on and so forth. And for me, I was kind of like, that's cool that this passage is not a genealogy that just lists names. It's a map to explain the rebuilding of earth after it had been flooded. And so 
some fascinating things before I kind of get to a point where I explain what does this mean for us. Is um, scholars believe that certain names in here um, reference those of settlers in Galatia, so our book of Galatians, um, Tartus, Macedonia, um, Spain, Greece, Italy, Egypt, Ethiopia, Syria, Armenia, and Arabia. Now, the reason why I've chosen those names out of all of them is because those are countries that you might be familiar with. But they believe that most of southeastern Europe, northern Africa, and Asia Minor, or Western Asia, were populated by these groups of people, and presumably from then they went further. They believed that Ethiopia came from Egypt, and so on and so forth. And so I'm sitting there kind of thinking about, that's kind of cool. We're witnessing a rebuilding, and it's proof that there is a time to tear down, and there is a time to rebuild. And I considered, what does that mean for us? And I was reminded of times that I've been up here and I've shared, and I couldn't tell you what passage I was sharing from. I couldn't tell you the details. I couldn't tell you the date. But there was a sense that there was something happening in this place, that this place here, the chapel, the people in this building, would be pivotal in the work that we did in this community. Um, I've shared about the initiative of 10 towns. Anyone here familiar with that term? You know, you've heard, I know Brian, yeah. For those of you who are new who have joined us, um, we part partook in a Discovery Bible study, um, myself and a few other guys alongside Brian. Stephen was there as well. Um, and the idea is that we read through various passages, um, and when we did so, it, we, we would identify it, we'd ask a couple of key questions. And I believe it was actually the story of... Yep. Now there was the pig, the demons... And, and Jesus comes, he, you know the one. No. Um, but basically there was an expulsion of a demon, and the demons went into the pig, ran off the cliff, and Jesus says to him, look, just go home, be safe. And the guy's like, no way. And on his way home, he went past ten different places and told what had happened to him. And so from that there was a conversation and what came of it was this idea that around the peninsula there are 10 different places, and whether it's 10 or that's metaphorical, um, that we wanted to go and we wanted to walk and pray and we wanted to host community events and we wanted to be a light in that community too. And so I'm sitting there thinking about that sense that I've got and what it is that we're doing here. And I'm thinking about ideas that have arisen, God-inspired ideas. And it struck me that, what if we're in a time of rebuilding? You know, I mean, if you look at it in a very literal sense, the last couple of years um, with COVID, you think about what's changed and what's been taken from us. I started thinking about the faces in this congregation. And for those of you who have been around for a number of years, longer than I have, you know, you might look around this room and see faces that once were here that aren't here for a variety of reasons. And I was like, oh, that's, I was like, that's a little bit, you know, that's kind of sad. And then I realized that there are faces here that when we looked around a couple of years ago, weren't here. 
you know, just as much as there are faces that aren't here that once were here, there are faces here today that once weren't here. And I thought that's exciting. And it was really cool that when you shared before, Brian, that you said we've had 30 names of individuals who have joined throughout 2022. Yep, predominantly in the second half. And a number of you were sitting here in front of us. And there is that sense of rebuilding, that we are in a time of rebuilding. And so I wanted to take a moment, and I wanted you just to pause. And whether you're someone who's been here for a long time, someone who's been here for you know, several years, a few years, or has just recently joined, I want you to consider what it might mean for us that we are in a time of rebuilding, not only as a congregation or a community, but as a vessel in the wider community. And I'm just going to find Ecclesiastes, and I'm just going to read the whole chapter of 3. So I'll give you a moment to think while I find that. In chapter 3 it says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. That was written by what we believe to be the wisest man on earth. And I find it fascinating that a genealogical list of names, whether it's minor detail or more detail, can speak to the idea that there are times, and there have been times, many, where we've seen the variations of what was said there. And that in the original story, when we're reading about Noah and the events that preceded him, that we saw God make a decision to tear down. And when we read that story, you know, we read it in what we now know of the gospel. And you're kind of like, okay, I get it. You made a decision and you made a very intentional decision. And while we may not understand it, we see the fruit that has come from it. And we get it. It kind of makes sense. And then we see God rebuild. And we see him continue to rebuild. And then we trace these stories, and we see these seasons and these times. And sometimes it's easier to make sense of what's happened there because we read it in context of where it ends. And it ends in victory with Jesus. But we can take that and we can look at that in our own lives. Whether we look at it on a global scale and we consider COVID-19, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand how... That occurred. And I don't understand why certain decisions were made and why we had to go through what we went through. 
Or you could look at that on a more personal level or a familial level in your family. Maybe there are things that have occurred and you don't understand why something was torn down or you don't understand why something came to an end. We could look at that as a chapel. And we could grieve, and that's okay, things that have happened. But for me, there's a sense of meaning and hope, knowing that while we grieve when things are torn down or we're confused, we know that when that has happened, there will at some point be a season and a time to rebuild. And I just want to end by echoing the words that, Stephen, you shared this morning when you prayed. You talked about how you didn't want to become legalistic. And you said that when you pray, you ask to move God's hands, put God in action, but equally put yourself in action. And I thought that was very well said because while God will be the master crafter and the rebuilder, we too have a part to play. Just like the analogy of the jigsaw, where Brian said, give it time if you don't know where you fit. Each of us can be like a piece in that puzzle and have a part to play. And I have a real sense that God is working with the people here and the people to come to do something of his will in this community and beyond. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.